after hours of cursing, screaming, fighting at a closing, we decide to close. Then all of a sudden the next day, we expect the seller to send over his plumber to get that fixed. Seller sends over his handyman, the guy who had done all the work. Handyman comes over, looks at it, calls the seller and says, hey, listen, this is a much bigger problem. I, as a handyman, can't fix it. You actually have to hire a licensed plumber. Seller goes, no way, I'm not doing that. You fix it. Handyman starts fighting back. You already owe me thousands of dollars. I'm not fixing this problem. So now my husband and I realize we have a leak running through an electrical panel and we have not even owned a property for less than 24 hours. So we end up now having to hire a plumber. We find out that the flippers were actually doing demolition and throwing all of the the walls and any and any other building materials that they knocked down. They were putting all that sheetrock and just flushing it down the toilet because they didn't want to carry it down the four store, the four stories of the townhouse we bought, which was causing the leak, which then caused a seven thousand dollar water bill to be put as a lien on our taxes which the title company never caught, which was the reason. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Today, we're here with Becky Nova. Super pumped to have her here. Um, She is with Lady Landlords, and she is helping women across the country become landlords and fulfill our goal of freedom, financial freedom, and things of that nature. Becky, super pumped to have you on the show. We'd love to just kick it off with a story. Could you tell me one of the craziest real estate transactions or experiences construction-wise that you've dealt with? Sure. So I I could pick through quite a few of these, but probably the one that I would like to share was the first property that we ended up buying. So this was before I actually even planned on kind of getting into real estate investing. At that point in time, my husband just really wanted to be able to have that home. He's an immigrant from the Dominican Republic, really wanted that American dream. I said, we live in New York. There is no way I'm just buying a house and living mortgage payment to mortgage payment. We have to find a way to be able to make money doing so. So I had this crazy idea that we should buy a multifamily, live in one side, rent out the other. I had no idea that this was a house hacking concept that real estate investors had been doing for years. We went, we found a place, we actually bought it from flippers. So we considered it a turnkey property that we were able to move into. Well, going through that process and going through that closing, we end up getting to the closing table and we walk in, the attorney comes over and introduces himself to me, the seller's attorney. And I was just like, hi, I'm, I'm Becky. Well, my real name is Rebecca. He did not put that together. He had been communicating with me for months, thinking that I was actually the attorney as Becky and that Rebecca was actually buying the property. He was shocked to realize that I was that person because what it showed him was that my actual attorney did absolutely nothing (laughs) for weeks to get us to the closing table. So once we got over that shock and he realized who all the players were, As anybody that's ever been in a closing realizes, you sit down at a table and you are signing your life away on thousands and thousands of pieces of paper. I'm one of those people that actually read that paper that's put in front of me as I sign it. As I'm going through, I realize that what my mortgage payment is supposed to be is about $500 different than what I had been previously told. 
So I now look at my attorney, who once again has been absentee. Her response, ah, just sign it. It'll be fine. We'll figure it out later. I was like, no, no, no. We are not doing that. Everybody else at the table, title insurance, um, the even like the bank attorney, everybody was like, no, 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 it's totally fine. We'll figure it out. And I was like, no, I'm not. Our first closing ended up being over four hours long, which is about four times as long as it really should take because no one was able to figure out what that problem was and why my payment was so much longer. The other problem that we had is when we did the final walkthrough, my husband and I found a leak or two that were coming underneath one of the two of the sinks. When we got to the closing, the seller said, not a problem. I'll have a plumber there in the morning. Well, after hours of cursing, screaming, fighting at a closing, we decided to close. Then all of a sudden the next day, we expect the seller to send over his plumber to get that fixed. Seller sends over his handyman, the guy who had done all the work. Handyman comes over, looks at it, calls the seller and says, hey, listen, this is a much bigger problem. I as a handyman can't fix it. You actually have to hire a licensed plumber. Seller goes, no way. I'm not doing that. You fix it. Handyman starts fighting back. You already owe me thousands of dollars. I'm not fixing this problem. So now my husband and I realize we have a leak running through an electrical panel and we have not even owned a property for less than 24 hours. We still have not gotten clarity on why our, our we have this extra $500 payment. So as we're getting this leaks fixed, we realize that when the flippers... Wait, wait so, so, so you guys end up closing without the $500 payment being reduced? Correct. Oh man, I'll keep going. Because once again, I'm following my, I'm following my attorney's legal advice. Yeah. So we closed wow. with not only that $500 extra payment, and we closed not understanding that there was a thing called escrow that you could put money in because of those problems and a leak that was supposed to be resolved after. So we end up now having to hire a plumber. We find out that the flippers were actually doing demolition and throwing all of the the walls and any and any other building materials that they knocked down. They were putting all that sheetrock and just flushing it down the toilet because they didn't want to carry it down the four store, the four stories of the townhouse we bought, which was causing the leak which then caused a $7,000 water bill to be put as a lien on our taxes, which the title company never caught, which was the reason we ended up with a mortgage payment of over $500 more a month than we were originally expecting. <laughs> oh, wow. Dang. So my husband having the American dream and just really wanting his own home to call his own and lay his head down and rest at night became a nightmare in day one, where now, once again, we're trying to figure out, do you call a plumber or an electrician when you have water going through an electrical panel? We had to have four floors opened up and flushed out all of the plumbing lines. So now our beautiful clean house has literally crap all over it. And I had to hire a litigator to not only go after the title company to get us that $7,000 bill, but we ended up having to sue our original attorney. I Wow. What a way to get your feet Oh wet. my gosh, this is such Literally, a cool right? story. Literally, Gosh, Tim, that was good. Um, yeah. So like normally we kind of walk into backstory and who you are, but, but let's do something different here. Like, I mean- 
like my mind is like, actually, let's solve this thing towards the towards the end. All right, tell us who you are. Let's get into it, and then we'll circle back towards the end to hear the resolve of this story. Sure. Um, to tell you a little bit about me, so I'm a cancer researcher by day, a real estate investor by night. Um, like I said, I really fell into real estate investing. That was something I never planned on doing. I actually left cancer research in my mid-20s. I moved to Europe. I used to own a tour company in Spain. I owned a bar in Portugal. I used to own a bus to take people from Spain to Portugal and back and forth. Um, unfortunately, I lost a ton of money in my bar in Portugal and really moved back to the States pretty much penniless. That was when somehow I was fortunate enough to meet my now husband. And once again, he was really the one that said, we need to get into a situation where we can really buy a house. And that was how we ended up getting started on that first duplex I just mentioned. We now own about 12 different units between the United States here in New York, um, right outside the city. And then we also own property in the Dominican Republic. So cool. So essentially like you, first of all, you understood house hacking before it was a thing. So I'm curious to know how, what developed that mindset. Um, yeah, so let's start there. Sure. So when, when my husband originally came to me and was like, hey, I really want to be able to buy a house. That's really a big goal of his. I was in a horrible financial situation. I just lost a little over six figures in a bar in Portugal. I moved home without money. I moved home to my parents' basement. I was not exactly in a place to be able to, to get a house. No one's giving me a loan. My credit was absolutely destroyed. So when I came back and he really said that to me, I had to go through this whole journey of financial literacy. And I worked really hard to be able to get myself out of debt, to be able to save for a down payment. And we're talking once again, a New York City size down payment, right? And to be able to get my credit score up. So then when we were finally ready and I positioned myself in a way to be able to finally purchase a house, I was like, there is no way I'm giving all this money away just to buy a house and have to pay that every single month. So I was like, I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit. We were actually at the time living in the South Bronx. We lived in a six floor walk up. And it was actually originally my idea to stay in the South Bronx and buy a property there because I really saw it as an up and coming area. It was not exactly the nicest neighborhood, but I really saw it as something where I just worked so hard to make this money and put myself in a better financial situation that I just didn't want to squander it. I wanted to be able to grow with it. I wanted to be able to really put ourselves in a much better position moving forward. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I feel like I could take this a hundred ways, but I think you said something so, so important. Um, I would love to talk about this bar mm -hmm. in <laughs> Portugal a little bit more um, because you mentioned you, you had a six figure loss there, right? So tell me about that experience and, and let's talk about the emotions of what you had to go through and obviously the mindset shifts that you overcame and, and you know, you got to where you are now because obviously massive um, challenge there, but you overcame it. So, I mean, I'd love to hear more about it. So when I originally, originally I moved to Spain, I working in cancer research, what I actually do is I work within first in human chemotherapies, running clinical trials. It could be very depressing. I did a lot within pediatrics during the time. And I was, I was actually asked to do something at the hospital I worked at that I considered unethical. I said, that's it. I am quitting. So when you, I quit a six figure salary, on a Monday, I went to a bar and was like, that's it. What the hell am I going to do with my life? The bartender's like, lady, I don't know you. I can't help you with this. Go ask on Facebook. So I said, fine. So I put a message on Facebook that said, hey, I want to move to Europe. Where should I go? Next morning, I woke up. There was only one response. It said, go to Sevilla. 
So I was like, all right, well, where's that? Googled it, found it was in Spain, bought my plane ticket, moved there eight weeks later. I got to Spain. Hold on a second. Can I pause you for a second? Yeah. You literally just put a post on Facebook and only one person respond and you're like, all right, let's do it. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a oh, choice. There brilliant. was only one response. So you just went with it. I that's love that. Okay, keep going. That is like you. I mean, just that is just an amazing level of confidence. It's like, all right, I'm doing it. Let's go. Thank you for that advice, random stranger. I'm doing it. It was a kid I went to high school with. And what was really funny was when I told my parents I was moving to Spain and I was like, well, you know, Corey told me to move to Sevilla. My parents were like, Corey, like you guys got into that big fight over senior prom. He's going to tell you to go to like the worst place ever. And I'm like, mom, it's been like a decade. I think we settled the fight over who was going to be in which limo for prom back when we were 18 years old. Like, I think Corey's moved on from that. But so I ended up moving there. And then I realized that I, I didn't know a single person and I didn't speak a word of Spanish at the time. So I really was just wandering around trying to figure out what I could actually do to make a living. So I kept going to an Irish bar, hoping somebody there would speak English. And I met somebody that worked at a hostel. And they wanted somebody that would be able to take their tourists around on like historical walking tours. So my minor was actually in history. So I was like, I can definitely do this. So I started doing walking tours throughout Southern Spain um, for different hostels. It ended up growing into other cities, multiple different hostels. I took people on flamenco shows. I took people to on pub crawls. I actually have probably taught more people in this world to play beer pong than anyone else you will ever meet in your entire life. But my goal was really to go live on a beach. So I found this amazing beach town about five hours away in Portugal, in Southern Spain, really at that very little tiny coast of, of Portugal. And it was just the cutest little beach town ever. And a guy that I knew ended up buying another bar with somebody else. So he agreed to then sell me his, and I was supposed to be buying it turnkey. That was the plan. So at the time now I have apartments in both Spain and Portugal, I'm going back and forth, which is then why I said, well, let me just get a bus where I can take other people between the two, run them through my own bar and then run them back through my own tour. That was my plan. The problem was the guy that I bought the bar from really screwed me over. He was supposed to, once again, I bought the bar turnkey, which means that it has chairs, it has tables. It was supposed to have, you know, a kitchen, a restaurant grade oven and cooking apparatus and, and refrigerator and all those different things. Well, after paperwork was all signed, he goes and took all of that stuff out of there before handing me the keys. Well, this place is like Jersey Shore. You have like three months to make your money for the year. So I went, spent a fortune really refurbishing the place and getting it up and ready to be able to move. So I now have it up and running. But now that took so much work that really my tour company in Spain, which was absolutely my bread and butter, that was the most successful thing I've ever done in my life was that tour company in Spain. But I wasn't able to manage it because I was spending all my time in Portugal. So halfway through the summer, the guy that I had actually bought the bar from, he ended up getting into a little bit of trouble here. He comes to my bar one night. I wasn't there. My two employees were. He walks behind the bar, steals the keys, goes and runs out of the place. They called me freaking out. I try to go talk to him. He is off his rocker, just totally messed up. Can't talk to him. So we agree to go talk the next morning. Next morning, I go talk to him. He becomes incredibly aggressive with me. We end up having to call the Portuguese police because he attempted to assault me over this. 
Portuguese police were like, listen, we got to go now down to the attorney, figure out whose bar this place is. We'll settle things up there. So we go down to the attorney's office and the attorney pulls up the paperwork and she goes, oh yeah, here's the contract. Yeah, Becky signed it, but he never did. And I was like, no, 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 I have my copy right here. She looks at it, she goes, no, you must have forged this. He never signed it. The police go, okay, well then the bar says. I was like, what is going on? What is going on? So I come to find out, long story short, that basically when he bought a bar with somebody else, he was running drugs through that bar and was using the bar to launder money. His partner found out, kicked him out. So that's why he came back and stole my bar from me. So I ended up having the choice that I could have either gone through Portuguese court, which honestly, I probably would have been there still to this day fighting this man over this bar. Or what I decided to do instead was take a job cooking at another restaurant for three euros an hour and all the pasta I can eat. And I did that and partied for the rest of the summer and then moved back home to the United States, losing everything. Whoa, this is wild. Like, this is like one of the coolest lives to talk about. Like, thank you, first of all, for taking this journey. So one thing I got to get out of my mind here. So, so the job ended with the cancer research and then you're like, I'm booking a ticket. Like, what led you to want to move away? Like, had it been a lifelong dream or was it something where like, there was something so traumatic about that experience of the cancer research you needed to reset? Kind of walk us through where you're at on that. Sure. For me, it was, especially living in New York City, right? I'm living in Manhattan. We work long hours. Everything's incredibly expensive. I was paying $2,000 a month for a studio apartment. You know, the whole culture there is just rush, 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 work, work, die. And that was kind of it. And I got to a point where I kept getting so depressed, seeing people spending so much more time in their offices than they were with their families, and just having these horribly long days and unfulfilling jobs. And what ended up happening for me was with the job I was in, I always thought working in cancer research, I'd be making an impact. I'd be making a difference. My sacrifice of long hours, my sacrifice of not time with my family was going to better somebody else's future. What I realized was that the role that I was in was just making my doctor more rich. It wasn't actually helping our patients. So then I was like, well, then what am I sacrificing this all for? And I needed to make a change. To me at the time, yes, most people were like, why couldn't you just switch jobs? Or why couldn't you, you know, move to Philly or Boston? Regardless of the fact that I hate their sports teams, that was something that I was not willing to do. I really needed a much bigger change at that point in time. And it was something to me that I was just, I felt just so upset and depressed and stuck in this rat race nine to five world until you're old enough to retire that I was like, I have to get out. And honestly, it worked out because I honestly, Spain has some of the best quality of life. Um, they really put life first um, over, over work that it ended up being a great place for me to be able to go. But it was really just, I could not live in this nine to five box anymore. And I needed to get out before I lost it. Yeah. I love that you did it too. I mean, especially Thanks. just off the random Facebook post. I mean, this is something <laughs> I wanted to do a long time ago. Um, and I love that you went to Spain too, because I'm finally getting my wife to kind of turn the corner there and consider moving somewhere else. My wife is from Mexico, so she speaks Spanish, obviously. So Spain would be an easy move. And Barcelona seems really, really cool to me. Yeah. Um, it's on my list of things to do. Um, I really love like your whole story. I mean, so many cool things to get into here. Um, 
I think I'd like to kind of bring it back to the initial story, right? So the contractors were flushing the drywall down the toilet, which is just the worst idea I've ever heard of. Like just flushing um, flushable wipes could ruin <laughs> plumbing. Um, like just that. So, I mean, drywall, it's nuts, right? Um, how did this issue get solved? So we ended up, we ended up hiring the plumbers to get that fixed. So like I said, they came, they had to open all the pipes up. I have pictures of just literally them just flushing everything out of these pipes for God knows how long that it was in there. Um, it was horrible. We got that all cleaned out. Um, then we ended up finding a fantastic attorney. I still use him to this day. We've done multiple transactions together, but Jay Zibner was my savior in this. He came in, he automatically just picked up the phone and was like, nope, we're suing your attorney. No, I'm going to walk you through that because it wasn't enough money to really pay him to then resolve it. He walked us through everything we needed to do to sue our own attorney. And then he also resolved things with the title company to give us the money back that they never caught that $7,000 water bill. So we had the $7,000 water bill paid by the title company. They took care of that. And then when we sued our attorney for the work that the plumbers had to do. So in the end, we ended, we were made whole. But once again, my husband's poor dream of having this gorgeous you know, home for him to live in, it took us a lot longer to get that whole situation put together than he was expecting. So I'd like to tie these two situations together. You have been in two crazy situations, one with the bar and then one, in one case you got the attorney and fought and one case you didn't. And obviously one you're in Portugal, a country far away, probably way less connections, et cetera. But the, the constant battle I have and that I see our clients having and other people having being in real estate is there's constantly opportunities where a lawsuit might be the right thing, right? Definitely if you want to live on principle, but people are having to ask ourselves, do I sue? Do I let it go? You've had both situations. If you can kind of give us an evaluation, one, if you can go back, would you have sued in Portugal? And how did you, you know, just kind of guide us through like, what is your criteria for whether or not to pursue a lawsuit? Sure. I think it's definitely changed with just me personally being a different person than I was then, but also me being in a different financial situation. Back then, like I said, for me to stay there, it would have taken years. I didn't understand the legal system. Um, it, I didn't have the money to really have even fought that. Um, it would have been much more difficult to do it. Plus also, what was what's more important than if I had the money to sue or didn't have the money to sue, I really kind of stepped back and said, wait, why am I here again? I'm here to enjoy my life. I'm here to enjoy the moment. I'm here to just have fun, meet people from around the world. And I wanted to live on a beach. So that's why I was like, screw it. That's what I'm going to do for the rest of summer. I'm going to just enjoy my time on this beach. And that was going to be it. And I think that going back, and I think what I then did in the second situation with the house now, what I left out or have not shared for my story was at that closing table, I got that check from those tenants that were going to be in that house. And when I realized that I can get paid from owning a property and renting out four walls, I was like, I am doing this. I'm like, I am all in. This is my new path. I now love this. So even though we were dealing with, you know, water going through an electrical panel, I was already trying to figure out how to buy another house, <laughs> much to my husband's chagrin. But that was really what I was already working on. So then it was at that point 
But I was really like, no, like I'm not letting people get things over on me. I'm not like, this is now a path that I understand. This is now something that I really felt that I needed to fight for. Since then, we've actually been in other court cases. Um, we were actually sued by a seller from another property. That was actually the other story I almost went with. Or, and then we've also had to sue a couple tenants. And sometimes, honestly, the money is pretty small with what we're getting from the tenants, but there's almost a principle fact of it as well of saying, well, hey, listen, we are all adults. This is what we agreed to. So to me, it almost becomes a, what are you trying to kind of get over versus, and it probably is because of that situation in Portugal where someone purposely hurt me and screwed me over that now I feel like I still kind of live by this very much like, you know, do unto others as you wouldn't expect them to do unto you. So I, I feel like that has really kind of led a lot of our decisions that we will still go to court sometimes when they are smaller fees because it's really the right thing to have been done. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. Um, so I'm curious. I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> Editor will All right, cool. I'll, 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 um, I'll dive in real quick then. So go ahead. Yeah. So you have these experiences and you're immediately compelled to do more. Like one of the things that I'm, I'm thinking about is like, is it literally a product of your environment? Like while in Spain, don't sue people because it's happy culture. And then you move back to New York and it's immediately like game is on. Like I, I do. I, I'm one thing that I thought was really interesting is I've always had a very type A personality. I'm very organized. I am very matter of fact. I'm a very direct human. That is how like I function. But what I find really interesting is when I left New York and was living on Spain where it was like, cool, would I like to have wine at lunch? It was very much like, yeah, let's just kind of go for it. So, and what's interesting is my husband is not a type A person. He's much more the Caribbean time, right? He's from the Dominican Republic, a little more laid back. But when we travel, we completely roll reverse. When we go away on some, when we go away somewhere, I swear to you, I don't know what time my flight is. I don't know who I'm flying on. I do not give a crap if I can say that, but I really don't give a care because now it's all of a sudden his turn to really kind of take on like those planning and those responsibility things. And then I'm the one that's like, nope, I will wake up when my body clock wakes me up. I'm not setting an alarm. We're going to go where we want to go. We will walk into that restaurant. So I do feel that that type A personality is something that a lot of us New Yorkers have because it's kind of out of survival. I don't know if you guys have ever read the book, Eat, Pray, Love, or if you've ever seen the movie, it's a little bit more of the chick flick kind of category here. But Eat, Pray, Love, this woman kind of goes through like this kind of self-discovery um, journey. And she goes to Italy where she really just enjoys life. So that's the eat part. She goes to India, which is then the pray part. And then she ends up going to Bali, which is then the love part. Um, and in the first part of the book, when she's in Italy, she's having a conversation with another woman and she's saying like, I don't understand how you can live here in Italy, you know, here in Milan, everybody's wearing high heels and has full makeup on to go to the grocery store. And the woman says, well, that's what Milan is. Every city really has its own, its own adjective that neither matches who you are as a person, or it doesn't really match who you are. And the character in the book, she actually lived here in New York. So the woman kind of pushed her back and said, well, what do you feel like New York is like? And she goes, well, it's like hustle or pretentious or whatever exactly the word was. And she was like, and the woman from Milan said, well, does that fit you personally? And she goes, no. And she goes, well, then that's why you're not happy in New York. You can't, those things are just kind of conflicting. You really need to find a place that fits where your personality is. And to be honest, I don't necessarily think New York 
the words that I would describe New York necessarily describe who I am at my core. Everyone who listens to our show knows Matt and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times you have watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. And the results prove this. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secret that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is why we have opened up a few one-on-one coaching slots with Freedom Chasers Coaching, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are and where you want to go And most importantly, how you want to get there, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are, where you want to go and how you want to get there. The benefit of working with Matt and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 successful people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven figure strategies and gotten the inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We are able to work with you to pick the strategy that will fit the best and then help you create the custom plan and steps to take you quickly into financial freedom. The fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us and let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, and I could sense the type A-ness from you right away. Um, thank you, Matt, because you asked the exact question I wanted to. <laughs> um, um, because you were talking about this crazy experience. You're fighting, you're in court, you're going through all these problems, and you're thinking about buying the next house already. And you also said, much to my husband's chagrin, which I could relate to. And it's just like, yeah, it's like, we're doing this. We're going. We started. We can't stop now. Um <laughs> So, like, how has that relationship developed? Because obviously it seems, I mean, it looks like you're a great counterbalance to each other, first off, because, I mean, it looks like you guys really have good strengths and weakness balances just by talking to you. But how has that relationship evolved? Because you've obviously pushed him to grow in a financial level. Um, And, like, how? just explain to me how that went. Sure. Well, he also pushed me to grow in a financial level. It really started with him. I always tell people that I hate telling my story about real estate investing because I always have to admit my husband was right, <laughs> that I should have I should have gotten out of debt, that I needed to improve my credit, that I needed to become financially literate. He really kind of pushed that. But we definitely had different goals within that. If you couldn't tell by the stories I've already kind of shared, I tend to be a little bit more of that risk taker. But sometimes I'm the one that just kind of jumps and figures out how I'm going to build a parachute by the time I hopefully land. My husband is definitely the one that, you know, one of his questions always comes back to like, well, how are we going to pay taxes? What are we going to do for insurance? And I'm like, who cares? We'll figure that part out. So we do really kind of balance each other. One of the best pieces of a relationship advice I ever got was from a girlfriend of mine at a bar at like three o'clock in the morning. She explained that in a relationship, one person really needs to be the kite and the other person needs to be the ground. The kite is kind of that dreamer, a little bit more of the risk taker. And the kite kind of brings and pulls the person to the next kind of place. The ground is the one that continues to think things through logically and make sure that the kite doesn't fall away, fly away, but at least the ground is there to kind of balance each other out. Now, a person can be the kite in some relationships and the ground in other relationships, right? Depending on who, what the dynamic is in that relationship. But I think it's pretty clear to see that I am definitely that kite. But if it wasn't for my husband, the ground, I would fly away 
and who knows what I would have invested in or what cliff I would have jumped off <laughs> right? by now either. This is so cool. I, I want to harness some of the strengths that you have so we can give some value to the audience. To be, and if you don't mind, you know, I know it's inappropriate to ask a woman's age. I'm not asking your age now, but how old were you when you moved to Spain? Sure. And I have no problem talking about age. So when I moved to Spain, I was 24. I moved back when I was about, when I was 30. Oh, so you're there for a while. Those are six yes. years. Yeah, cool. So I want to dive into this. So, so 24 years old, a woman moving to a country on a whim, like the level of risk adventure that takes is tremendous. So we had a question earlier today in our group, which talked about essentially like, hey, how do I get people to take me seriously? Can you describe the thought patterns that go through your mind that allow you to take these sort of decisions? And how would you, how would you mentor a gal that wants to be taken more seriously? Sure. Oh, the first part of that question, I'm going to answer in a very weird way, but I'm going to be completely honest with this. They do say that a lot of people that end up being successful in business almost kind of have a little bit of like a sociopath kind of aspect to them. We sometimes don't really have great empathy. We don't really kind of see the bigger picture. We don't really kind of see the surrounding things. And honestly, I do feel that that's one of my weaknesses. Is that something like, People tell me all the time, like, oh, that's so crazy. You moved to Spain because somebody on Facebook that you hadn't talked to in 10 years told you to. And I, and they're like, oh, that's so awesome. I don't think about it that way. I just think about it as, well, that was just the thing that I did. Like, I didn't, I didn't think it was a crazy, I don't see it still to this day. I don't see it as a crazy risk. It was just that thing that I did when I was 24. Um, I understand though, that most people are not okay with that, right? Humans themselves, we tend to be a little bit more risk adverse. We tend to not really like change very much. That's why most people end up living in their in the same states that they grew up for that matter. So really what I do to help other women is to kind of balance that out. I feel that women actually had a very big advantage from a life perspective and a humanistic perspective. And we actually have really, really strong gut feelings. We just have an innate ability as women, as nurturers. But unfortunately, I feel that what we have from like a natural perspective really kind of gets hidden from an environmental perspective. I think in this world, which is still more in a male dominated capacity, that we kind of are taught from a very young age, not to really listen to our gut, that we should be listening to other people. And I think that kind of gets hidden and pushed down and kind of recessed in so many different ways. So what I really try to do when I work with women is to try to pull out of them, hey, listen, you actually have that confidence in you. We just have to find it and then reframe and restructure your mindset to realize that you actually have the answer. You actually know what you should be doing here. You actually have the confidence within you to walk into a room and talk to a contractor and you don't need to have a man by your side. You don't have to have somebody there. You don't have to, that you can quit back when someone says, oh, where's your husband or where's your daddy? You know, that like we actually can be back and be like, nah, I'm the one with money. I'm the one that's buying it. And that we can actually say that we don't need to apologize for somebody not understanding that we are a single woman buying a property. But I think we have it all in us. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we pretty much said something similar to that. Um, very cool. So let's talk about your coaching that you're doing. Like, I would love to talk about a specific student. Um, you don't have to say their name if you don't want to. And like, what kind of results you've gotten for somebody. Sure. So... One thing, so originally I kind of started when I, I started our community, Lady Landlords, really the, the group came out of my own need 
to have other women to connect with, with some of the decisions that we have to make as landlords, right? There's no book on this. There's a lot of weird situations that come up when you're a landlord that I really said, I really want to hear how other people are handling this and what's really kind of coming out of that. Also, I guess I will say something that you guys would probably find amusing. Back in March, 2020, I'm sure we all remember that time. My husband actually came home. He had lost his job as many people did and kind of came home and said, hey, like we, we lost an income stream. What are we going to do? My response was, we need to buy another property. He was like, no, like I lost my job. Like we need to be like in savings mode. We need to be like totally stable, totally secure. My response was no. This shows us exactly why we need other income streams and why we need to take care of ourselves and not count on a W-2 to be paying us. We need to go buy another property. As many people would, he thought that I was completely nuts um, in doing so. So he kind of like walked off, slammed the door. And I said, okay, I'm going to go make friends with strangers on the internet and go meet other people that hopefully are thinking the same way that I do. And that was really how Lady Landlords was, was born. Then as our group continued to grow, I really thought like Lady Landlords would be like me and my mommy hanging out in that Facebook group, like alone. But we just got member requests, member requests, member requests that we now have over a thousand women join us on a monthly basis. We have about 30,000 members now after two years. And what I realized was that there were just a couple mistakes and a couple of tweaks that I see so many real estate investors make. And the number one real estate investor mistake that I always see is people start from the wrong place. I feel like people try to start with what the strategy is and they go and they implement that. And I think a lot of it is really social media. They're in Facebook groups, they're looking on Instagram and they're like, great, Tim bought 14 houses today. And now Matt also went and he's the specialist in seller financing, this creative way to, to get started. And since you guys are all making money and you're showing your flashy checks and your flashy cars, everybody's like, man, I guess I got to do what Tim and Matt are going to do. But what they don't realize is that what their end goal is, is completely different. What I'm trying to accomplish in real estate is different than what you're trying to do, Tim, versus what you're trying to do, Matt. So we actually need to be successful by reverse engineering what our real estate investing journey looks like. We need to figure out what our end goal is, and then work our way back with that. So that's actually what I do with my coaching is I explain to people, I have a workshop called our roadmap program. And with the roadmap, I always explain to people, we need to know what our destination is. You don't just get in a car and start driving and then decide where you're going to go, right? You say, okay, I got to walk out. I got to go to CVS. That's where I'm going to go. And then you jot your plan through that. So in the real estate, we need to do that. I've already mentioned my goal still to this day is actually to go live on a beach. Well, when I look at certain strategies, if I was hearing Tim about all the houses you're flipping and that you're on site with contractors every month and you're showing me what big checks you're getting from doing that Burr method, well, if I go and chase you, I'm gonna be really unhappy because I don't wanna be a project manager. I don't wanna be in a job site every single day. I don't wanna be dealing with all that construction. That does not fit with my life goal of sitting on a beach with a pina colada in my hand. So I need to pick a strategy that then goes with my goal and my specific goal. So I that's what I really work on with women is saying, what are we really looking to get out of our life? And then let's use real estate investing as the vehicle to get us there. And I think that's where most people go wrong. 110%. Absolutely. Like lifestyle by design is 100% where it's at. That's that's kind of the, the mindset I've taken over the last few years, designing these virtual businesses so that I could be where I want to be. Like 
like I want to emphasize what you just said because it's so much more valuable. And I think men in particular get caught up in just raising the amount of money that we have and amount of properties that we have. It becomes a competitive endeavor. I think women are a little bit more nuanced and in a good way. In that way, they have a little bit more balance there. So um, I think men in particular also need this like crazy to kind of tone down, think about what they're doing, build something that's more meaningful. So I want to kind of guide the question to essentially you've lived in Spain in this very family focused, life focused environment. You've lived in New York in this fast paced environment. You're pursuing financial freedom on a high level. If you had a billion dollars in the bank and a hundred lifetimes of cash flow from properties, now that you've lived in both lives, how would you structure your life moving forward? You'd never see me again. I'd be on a beach somewhere. That that would really be it. Uh, well, I say that, but like I have to add a caveat. Like I actually love working. I love being able to build things. I think what I learned most about myself when I needed when I did that move to Spain was that working in cancer research, I lived in analytical left brain world all the time, and my creative side of my brain was just shriveling up and dying and starving. And what I think I realized is actually that's a much stronger part of who I am. So I honestly think that I will always be creating, be working on something, be figuring out what else I can do to still keep myself entertained. But I'm definitely going to be doing it with a pina colada in hand. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I mean, freedom looks different for everybody, right? So, I mean, um, like you just said, having your end goal in mind is so important, right? Um, so I'd like to walk through, like you just said, like, that's one of the first conversations you have with a client. So like, how do you tend to guide them through that? Because obviously everybody's going to have totally different goals. Um, so you're going to have different solutions for everybody, which makes your job as a coach much more challenging. Right. I think the most important thing that I can do on my side is really ask a lot of questions and listen to my clients. So for example, one of my clients, when she originally came to me, she lives in California. She was already dismayed with just what prices look like there. She was concerned about, about uh, landlord-tenant laws in California, very you know considerable to New York. And when I kind of really dug into what she wanted to do, of course, she came to me and she's like, oh, I want to own all these doors and I want to have all this property and I want to want to make sure that like I can be a really successful investor and I want to be able to tell people, you know, I have a hundred doors, you know, by the time like I'm 50. And when I was kind of like, well, let's like dig into this. Really what we kind of broke down by asking your questions about like, well, what do you see like your life looking like at that point in time? What do you see yourself being able to do? She was very disillusioned on what that was looking like we really kind of dug deep into what she was kind of hoping to kind of see her life like. And when we talked about what do you really want to spend your day doing? What does that look like? What we really realized was she wanted to spend more time with her kids, but yet she still wanted to be able to contribute to the household. So instead we really were able to switch a plan for her and say, listen, you could really do this with under 10 doors. You can be able to do that. You can be able to buy out of state because really, once again, you don't want to be a landlord. You want to be a mom. And that's okay. So it was so cool that we were able to kind of take, I knew that the route that she wanted to go, she would have ended up being unhappy with, but she just didn't have anybody that she can kind of talk through those things and really realize what the different ramifications of owning rental property and the various ways and strategies to be involved in real estate investing. She just didn't really see the way that would get her to that end goal. And I, I'm really happy that we were able to break that down for her. Since that, we started working together um, about two years ago. She now has six different units and she's actually lessened her hours. She was able to have another kid 
and has been able to be a stay-at-home mom since she had her her youngest son now. So that was kind of really rewarding for me. Love that. So what do you see? Like, let's say, because what I, what I notice in coaching is sometimes people have these goals and they seem like they're borrowed goals, borrowed dreams. Do you deal with this as a coach? And if so, how do you help people, guide people into their real sense of purpose and their real sense of dreams, not the ones they stole from the per- post they saw yesterday? Right. So what I do is I push back anytime somebody uses a buzzword. If you say, oh, I want I want to retire early with financial freedom. I'm like, girl, come on. You got to give me more than that. Like, right. Financial freedom means something completely different to all of us. Right. Sometimes that could just mean I don't want to live paycheck to paycheck anymore. Sometimes that means, you know, I want to go buy myself a yacht. They can be very different things and that's okay. But unless we actually break down what that really means and what that means to us, we're never going to get anywhere. That's where people get stuck in that analysis paralysis. And a lot of people just start chasing this financial freedom. Like I said, they usually just will start to go and be like, great, you know, Tim told me to do a flip. So I guess I'm going to do a flip. They don't really think things through. So we remind people that we need to be patient and we really need to kind of sit in our own kind of like mind space to say, what is it that I really am kind of looking for within my life? If somebody can't define what financial freedom is, Honestly, we need to start there. We can't go on to, okay, great. We're going to buy a long-term rental in Oklahoma here. We can't make those decisions until we really know what we're trying to do. So I always try to really break down whenever I hear those buzzwords and I'm like, no, 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 let's stop following Instagram here. Let's really talk about you. Tim, this is only about you and what your wants are for your family, for your needs. Cool. You want generational wealth. You want to leave a legacy. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? And that's really where, once again, I feel like a lot of our job tends to be that reverse engineering to get to really be able then to give somebody a strategy and action plan. We need to understand where they're going. Yeah. So I'm assuming that you're really trying to define their why too, when you're asking these questions. So it's not just what they want to do, but also why they want to do it so that you could give them some sort of motivational path towards that future. I always use that as kind of that anchor. You know, I always explain like as a real estate investor, listen, we're entrepreneurs. There are going to be great days. And then two seconds later, all of a sudden you realize you're getting screwed over by your business partner who's money laundering. You know what I mean? Like there's all of a sudden, like all these things that can kind of come into your world that completely flip your life upside down. And as an entrepreneur, it's just up and down all day long. So I always explain to people, we really need to find out what your motivation is. What is that anchor? What is that thing that you're going to think about when you are really kind of going through some difficult times, that's going to keep you motivated. So I do encourage people to make dream boards and vision boards and to put, you know, wallpaper on the back of your phone with something that's going to kind of keep you motivated, something that's going to be in front of you all the time, making sure that you really stay on path with the way that you're going. Um, And then also we have to relate it to real estate investing as well. Cool. You want passive income, which once again, real estate investing, not exactly the most passive thing over here. But with real estate investing, why are we picking that strategy? Are we just picking it because it's the flavor of the day and it's flashy? Or, are, or is there another strategy that we can really employ to get us to those same goals that maybe does not involve buying rental properties or flipping houses or any of the things that we actually do? Totally. And there's all kinds of things too. Like as, as people go through the process, they can go into REITs and triple net commercial and so on and so forth if they truly want something that's a little bit more more passive or invest in syndications, those types of things. One thing I'm curious about, because you have this dream of the beach, the pina colada, all those types of things. 
Do you have a set number that you define for yourself? I th- found that to be helpful for me. Like, I feel like without a set number, a lot of times people push the goalpost back farther and farther and farther. So how do you determine when it is that you're going to go sit on the beach forever? So like a set number from like a financial perspective? Exactly. Like, How do you just define that in general? Like when, when does the type A Becky shut off and the type fun Becky kick in? The fun thing is, is actually that that fun Becky came out much sooner than my husband would have liked. <laughs> so <laughs> his, his number for where we should be is actually very different than where my number is. What I did, what analytical Becky did, was I actually tracks, I tracked every single penny that we spent. And I have done that for the past now three years, four years now in a row. But originally when I started doing it, it was really because I needed to understand what are we actually spending? Where's our money going? What do I need for a basic life? What am I going to do so that way we can't be homeless? That was my one, my husband's one rule, right? We can't, we can't be homeless. We can't own a ton of property and yet be homeless. So I really came up with what exactly do we need to, to live off of? And they talk about this a lot in the FIRE movement, the Financial Independence Retire Early Movement, where you have your FI number, right? You have a number that really is what you need to be able to hit financially to maintain the lifestyle of where you're at. But while you're working there, they have a couple of different other categories. One of those categories is lean fi. Lean fi is really the minimum that you need, right? To at least cover your basic expenses, utilities, food, all that type of thing. Then you also have on the other side of your fine number, you have your fat fine number. Fat fine number is saying, hey, I want to be able to travel more. I want to be able to do something a little bit extra special. I want a little extra buffer, whatever that would be. So by tracking our expenses the way I did, it definitely helped me that first year. But it's been really nice to kind of see and continue to do that exercise because we also don't want that lifestyle creep as we are making more and more money. But we were able to get down what exactly those numbers were going to be, what our lean fi was going to be, and what our fine number was going to be. And then it was really just kind of working towards that. So that was actually something we already hit. That was already a number. To me, it was really replacing my six-figure income. Once I was able to do that, then I said, you know what, where we plan on living is actually going to be a cheaper cost of living anyways. So I know that, that we'd be able to make it work because I already had the data of what I needed. I wasn't just grasping being like, cool, it'd be great to have 10K months. It was really saying, well, what do I actually need to then maintain or enjoy the lifestyle that I really want to see living? So we already hit that number. I've gotten my husband to agree that we can live in the Dominican Republic for three months out of the year, which we've done now the past few years. But I really kind of want to expand that. But I still actually work. I actually did go back to cancer research a few years ago. And I went back in a very different capacity than I did before I lived in Spain. It really put me in a position of power. It really put me in a position of patient advocacy, which is the right place for me to be able to be. So from that point, then I now had a compromise as we do in marriages and relationships, where then even though we hit that financial number where we could just live that life that, that I really want. We decided to balance that out since we do not have, we have not started a family at this point in time. So instead we more went with a age number. So I'm allowed to quit my day job in 18 months when I turn 40. So. Oh, that's really cool. I love that, that you put an age timeline. So you're just going to go after it as you got 18 months. Um, and actually that short window probably motivates you a lot, right? It's like, how much can I get done in 18 months? Right. right? Um, <laughs> but then it I still has that. that struggle as I'm trying to buy more property and my husband's like, no, I don't want another property right now. And I'm like, well, you gave me 18 months. So buckle up, buddy. So <laughs> <laughs> Buckle up. 
Um, yeah, I love how you double down on everything. Um, that is so awesome. <laughs> he does not. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm glad you appreciate it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it is how it is, right? I mean, my wife is much like your husband, you know? So, I mean, yeah. that counterbalance is good. Right. Um, oh, because he, he laughs I'm very, yeah. He, he literally <laughs> is just like, you did what? Or sometimes I'll come to him and I'll be like, hey, so this opportunity kind of like passed, you know, across my desk or someone had presented me this. And he's like, so I told you not to buy any house and now you're evaluating how we're going to buy 119 units and how you're going to raise like $30 million. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, it's 9 a.m. Like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, I know. Just like, so he just kind of laughs, sticks with it and, you know, and, and we make it through. But once again, that's that push and pull that we have in the relationship. So it, it works out, but he does laugh at me often. Yeah, I could relate. Um, cool. So, I mean, what is your vision for the next 18 months? And we have a firm date here. So like, what do you want to accomplish in 18 months? Sure. So right now, since, since apparently I am on a, on a buying hold, we just closed at another duplex about a month ago. So really what I'm looking to do is to do, we have a couple other purchases that we're doing. One, since I can't buy any more houses, I'm dumping more money into syndications. So at least that's a way, once again, my husband just feels a little bit tapped out since we manage all of our properties. So with syndications, we don't have to worry about that tenant management piece. So I've been putting more money into syndications and I've also been looking for syndications that really have a short, that are short-term investments and also looking for private lending that are short-term investments. Because next goal is then to buy a very specific property that I want to buy in the Dominican Republic where we'll be living for half of the year. So that's going to be next purchase. What's interesting is we're kind of in a battle right now between do we purchase that property in the Dominican Republic next and then my husband is back on his horse about wanting that primary residence. So, and really kind of moving to a different area. It's something that, same thing, he is at that point where he wants something a little bit more settled and stable than where we are now. So probably in the next 18 months, we will be buying a primary residence, which will probably be some type of, more of a mother-in-law type setup rather than a complete like duplex, because right now we still live in something very apartment styled rather than a home with an extra unit. So we will be buying that. We will be buying that property down in the Dominican Republic, which would be we we will be using as a short-term rental while we are not there. And then once again, I will continue with syndications and private lending for that next period. Absolutely fantastic. And any ladies out there looking to become a landlord, like what would be the best way for them to get in touch with you? Sure. If you head over to Facebook, just search for land for lady landlords and we will be the first group that will pop up. Come and join us in the fun. Um, that is definitely the best place for anyone that identifies as female to find us. For anybody else, um, you can always find me on Instagram at BeckyNova24, or you can find um, our podcast. We have a podcast too, Lady Landlords, um, wherever, wherever you subscribe to those. Very cool. I'm going to backtrack a little bit um, before we wrap up. So, I mean, you, you said something really important. So you're doing the cancer research before, right? And you said you felt very demotivated by it. You wanted to change the world and you just weren't getting the right feelings before. And then you said you went back into it and you feel like you're in a more powerful, authoritative role. I would love to just, could you explain the differences between the, the two roles and like why this one fits you better now and why you feel more like you're making a difference? Because it sounds like that's your main goal in the first place. Sure. So what I was doing before within cancer research was I actually worked at, at the hospital location itself. And I worked underneath a doctor running patients through a protocol. So I was the one that would explain what the study was like to a patient, explain the risks, the benefits, go through an informed consent, and then really be there to give them and provide them their treatment. 
with cancer, once again, running chemotherapy studies, you'd, I'd see these patients every three weeks, check in on them, see how they were doing. So I was very close to the patients themselves, but I really had to take the directive of the study that was already put in place. My role now is actually on the other side. I more work on the pharmaceutical side. So I actually get to have input in what that study looks like, what that study is going to help our, how that study is going to help our patient, how we're going to push out those trials to patients. So I have a much bigger impact in saying what the study should look like and how we're going to be able to take care of our patients from a better place before it's too late. I felt before I was very reactionary, we're now on this side, I really get to have input from the beginning of the, stu of the study design. Oh, that's absolutely tremendous. Um, so I'm, I'm just, I'm really happy that you found that, you know, because I mean, it's just really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll just um, wrap it up. I mean, Becky, this has just been absolutely tremendous. I mean, um, this has been so much fun, actually. You have so much energy. The type A just, it comes right off of you. Um, and I mean, I wish we had more time almost because like, I, I really feel like I have 200 questions for you. Um, but I want to thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. Um, those of you listening, go check out Lady Landlords. Um, if you're not a lady, unfortunately, they won't let you in. They didn't let me in. But you could find her on Instagram. Um, and to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom's acquired one action at a time. So please commit to taking one action, jump on a plane, go to Spain, do whatever you want to do and do it within the next seven days. Tell somebody you know that can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Take care. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 